Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing in this whole world but the blood of Jesus. Amen to that. We are continuing in John chapter 17 this morning. And as you read through John 13 through 17, you see these just repeated words and themes of the love and the joy and the peace of God that is freely offered to all who would believe in Jesus, you know, resulting in the glory of God and, and our unity as a body uh, in Christ. And it's, it's just beautiful to see it over and over again. I encourage you to just keep reading chapter 13 through 17 as we work through this together uh, each week. And, and I hope that you will have eyes to see the beauty of the love and the joy and the peace of God that we see in these passages. You know, we can see right before John chapter 17, the words of Jesus. He's saying these things to his disciples and he's praying in this prayer in John 17. He's praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for us. And he's speaking these words for a reason. They're not just vain words being spoken. They're spoken for a reason. In John 16, 33, we can see one of those reasons. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You remember the beginning of John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, also believe in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places, many rooms, many mansions. <laughs> I go and prepare a place for you. Don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. I have a place for you. I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. You know, he's speaking these words so that we may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, he said. In the world, you will have trouble. And we certainly have trouble in this world. But take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Take heart. And then in John 17, 13, we see he's speaking these things for a reason. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's his prayer for you and for me. Jesus' heart, his desire for you and for me is our joy in him to be made full. He wants us to have joy. And then he concludes the prayer in 1726. He said, I've made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. His love is in us. He prays that his love will be in us, that we will abide in him and in his love. And so as we read through this passage over and over again, you, you see these themes come out of really what the fruit of the Spirit of God is in our lives, his love, joy, peace. And so as we look at verses 13 through 19 today, uh, we'll see this uh, in even more detail. John chapter 17, starting at verse 13. He says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And so verse 13 says some very beautiful words. I speak these things in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I want, to, I want to dig deeply into that today. And it's my hope and my heart today that, that we will not only know about the joy of God, but that we will truly know the joy of God and feel 
the joy of God in our lives. It seems to be a very difficult thing for us these days. In our culture, in our context, in the, in the church today, seems like we're not a very joyful people. And I don't understand that. And I'm talking to myself. <laughs> like, I read these words over and over again, and I'm joy fulfilled in themselves. And I just wonder, what, it, what does that feel like? Have I felt that? Do I feel that today? Overflowing in my heart? And I think, I want more of that. I want to go deeper into that joy. I, I want to I feel that in my own soul. God, help me understand that. Help me to experience that. Help me to feel that from the depths of my soul. Is it not just filling me up, but overflowing into this world? Where is that, God? Help me with that. We saw in verses 6 through 12, the, the, the truths leading up to that statement. And we remember from last time that, that God has chosen and accepted you. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And he chose us and he accepts us for who we are, right? Warts and all. <laughs> he chose us because he chose us. He loves us because he loves us. And, you know, he doesn't love everybody the same. That's a hard one. So we saw that last time. And we've discussed that and seen that in many of the scriptures throughout the Bible. God doesn't love everyone the same. And if you've believed in him, you put your faith in him, it's because he chose you. And it's not because of anything great you did or were going to do. He just chose you because he chose you. He loves you with a saving love because he loves you. So he's chosen you. He's accepted you. And we also saw that, that God protects those who he chooses. He keeps those who he chooses. He protects you. He keeps you. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing in the world. No trials, no tribulations. Read Romans 8, the end of the chapter. Peril, nakedness, sword. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing. He keeps you. He guards you. He protects your soul. And so because he's chosen us, because he has accepted us and keeps us, we therefore should accept each other and live in unity for the glory of God. We saw that last time. And then Jesus prays here in these words, right after those words, that we may be one, even as he and the Father are one. We should have unity and love and acceptance for each other, the same kind of Unity, love, and acceptance that Jesus has with the Father, the Spirit has with Jesus. There's a unity in the Godhead that is perfect, and we are the body of Christ. And he prays that we would have that same kind of unity, that same kind of interdependence and interbeing with each other that we have with the Father, the Father in us, I in Jesus, Jesus in me, all of this coming together in a beautiful picture of unity and love. That's his heart. That's his prayer for us. Jesus' main command for us, as you remember, I hope, is that we would love one another. That we love one another. And so he says, you know, that our, his joy would be fulfilled in us. Let his joy fill you. Well, here's, here's some of the ways we, we get into that joy. It's through love, through unity, through service and humility with God and with each other. <laughs> Jesus commanding us to love one another. You know, if we can love each other who we can see, then we can love God who we cannot see. When we love each other, we can live in unity and oneness with each other and with God. And so we saw some of that last time. 
Jesus loves us, accepts us, protects us. Let us love each other, accept each other, look out for each other. When we do, we can live in unity and feel his joy and his peace in believing. And we may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 15. And so, so what keeps us from this joy? You know, I started thinking about this in my own heart. Like, what keeps, the, what keeps me from that joy? Well, lots of things do. <laughs> lots of things keep me from the joy of God being fulfilled in my heart. Probably the same in your own hearts. Cares of the world, the anxieties of life, the pride of life. You know, we get annoyed with each other because we don't understand each other. You know, these, these things come in and, and they attack our, our old small self, that old self that we're, that we're to put off. And they rob our joy because we think that we ought to have this or we ought to be respected in this way or, you know, we deserve, you know, this or we should have this. And when those expectations aren't met or when we're mistreated by others. It robs our joy. Why does that happen? Well, it happens because in those moments, we're, we're living in that old self that thinks it deserves something, that thinks it's better than someone else. That's why the Apostle Paul is constantly teaching us uh, in his letters, hey, don't, don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Humble yourself, just like Jesus humbled himself. Consider others more important than yourself. He's constantly having to teach us that because our, our human nature lives in our ego, lives in that old sinful self and wants what it wants. And when we're living in that place, in our hearts and our minds, it's hard to have joy. It really is. Because there's always something wrong there. There's always a problem to solve. There's always something or someone to fix. We can't be content in that place. And so we strive for more and for more and for more. And we, we wake up day after day and we're, we feel like, well, where's the joy? Why, why don't I have the joy today? And for me, it's because my head is in those places. My head is not content. My heart is not content. That's what the Apostle Paul even says. I learn to be content in every situation. He learned it. It wasn't natural. We struggle. We, we, we strive. We're, we need to learn to be content with whatever situation that we're in, whether it be poor health, relationship struggles, job struggles, whatever it may be. It's a mindset shift from, I'm failing, this isn't right, I've got to fix it, to, I can truly come to Jesus with my weary and burdened and heavy soul and find rest in him today. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and, and heavy with burdens, who've worked yourselves to exhaustion, if you translate that deeper, Come to me, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your weary souls in Jesus. Cease striving, be still, and know that I am God, the psalm says. And so as I think about, you know, having the fullness of joy, and you know, I've just reflect on what, what keeps that from happening. Well, we need to consider others more important than ourselves. Put away selfishness, put away greed, put away pride. Those are really at the root of discontentment and disunity. Accept ourselves. Accept that we have been accepted by God. Accept each other. Even though the other one may have weaker faith. <laughs> we all think the other one has weaker faith. <laughs> Don't we? 
if you're honest. Paul says that in Romans 14 and 15, accept one another, but not for the purpose of judging each other. Accept one another uh, who has the weaker faith. Love each other, accept each other, bear with each other. He even goes on in Romans 15 to say, love your enemies. And he's talking about the people in the church as well as the people out there in the world. If they're hungry, give them food. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. Love your enemies. Man, that's hard. It's especially hard. It's, it's pretty much impossible when you're living in that old self that we need to put off. You, you just like it. It's nearly impossible. It's only through the help of God and the work of his spirit in our hearts that we can put off that old self and truly love our enemy the way Jesus modeled for us. In these verses here in John 13 through 17, he knows the cross is before him. And he tells us, I am the way. And he models the way for us. The way is death. Death to ourselves. Unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will bear no fruit. He told us. So what does this really look like? What does all this acceptance and unity look like? And how is it done for our joy and for God's own glory? Well, Colossians 3 talks about this in, in good detail. And I think it's important for us to, to look at it because we need, we need some practical help with this. Like, what does it really look like? Yeah, Pastor Ryan, you talk about loving each other and being unified. And yeah, I can. I, I, okay. That's right. Check that box. We need to do that. But what does it really look like in day-to-day -day practical life? Well, Colossians 3 tells us, it tells us what it looks like and why we should live this way. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Boy, there, there's a struggle. <laughs> that's easy enough to say but from the minute we open our eyes in our beds we're looking at our clock oh i'm running late i've already set my mind on the things of the earth i'm, I'm probably looking at my phone do i have any messages i haven't spent a single second setting my mind on things above I'm, i've already started the whole thing setting my mind on the things of this world you see like it's the little things it's just a little thing. So it's like the whole mindset shift. Like, open my eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful day. Even if it's raining outside. <laughs> hey, where do we set our minds? Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. He's talking about, you know, when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that old self dies. There's this model. That's what we baptize people in water, because we put under the water, you go un under the water, it's a representation of being buried in the waters of baptism, like you're buried in the ground when you die. And you come up out of the water, cleansed to new life in Christ. It's a representation of the old dying, the new rising from the dead. Eternal life in him. And, and that's what Paul's talking about here. When you trusted in, in Jesus by faith, that, that old self, dies you can put to death crucify that old self and be raised to new life in christ so since that has happened set your mind on the things that are above and the holy spirit can help us with that if we want the spirit to if we lean into the spirit and ask ask anything in my name and you will have it that your joy may be full See how all this plays together, how all this works together in our hearts? And it has to do with the, the, the mindset and the heart set. Like, where is our heart and our mind right now? What's going on in here and in here right now in every moment? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he gives some real practical stuff. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Yeah, there is the wrath of God. We don't like to talk about that very much, but it's real. There is a wrath of God, and it's coming against sin. Colossians 3, 7. In these two, you too once walked when you were living in them. So if, if you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus in your life, you haven't put your faith in him for salvation, you know, you, you walk in these things. And Jesus is so bold to say, you're of your father, the devil. Like you serve the devil. Your father is the devil. If you haven't trusted in him and are walking in his ways, you are of your father, the devil. There, there's, no, there's no middle ground here. You either are a child of God through faith in him, or you're a child of the devil. And you're walking in all of these sins, and wrath is coming upon you. It's already on you, actually. The wrath of God abides on you. If you haven't trusted in him for your salvation. And I hope that scares the patooties out of people in here. <laughs> It should, right? It's real. The wrath of God is coming against those things. So flee from the wrath of God. Trust in Jesus for your salvation. Do it right now. Do it right now. Verse 7, in these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away, put them all away. So anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. It matters what you say. Put it away. Obscene talk from your mouth. Dirty jokes. And I'm not talking about farmers, you know, Tilling up dirt. <laughs> Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, so you, so you put off the old, now you put on the new. Put on then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Do you have compassion? <laughs> Kindness. Humility. Meekness and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And you, you really can't do this unless you're walking in the spirit. You've got to cry out to God. God, please help me, Lord Jesus, today to be filled with your spirit. Give me the grace, mercy, and compassion to forgive my enemy who has wronged me so deeply. And Jesus modeled this. And we're going to see it as we see his passion in the subsequent chapters. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He did not take revenge. He just stood there and took it all. And loved. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Beautiful and blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's beautiful. Love binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do in giving thanks to God the Father for biblical living, that when we walk this path, when we're walking in the Spirit, walking step by step in the Spirit, walking this path, we may have the joy of the Lord filled in our hearts. 
And so it's really this, this process of putting off all that junk, take off those old filthy garments, all the anger, the malice, the wrath, the slander. You know, when, when we're feeling these strong negative emotions that cause us to say things against someone else in a negative way, that, that's because we're living in that old self. So put off all of that and put on love. Put on kindness, put on humility, put on compassion and mercy. Now, Jesus could have prayed all of this in silence, right? He's one with the Father. He and the Father are one. God the Father knows what the heart of Jesus wants or desires for us. He could have said all of this in silence. But he spoke it out loud that we, that the disciples at that moment would hear it and their sorrow would be turned to joy, that his joy would be made full in them, and that we today, we will be written down for your sake and for mine, and that we also could read these words, hear these words, and the joy of Jesus, the joy of the Lord would be made full in us. That's why he spoke it out loud, so that we might know his deep love for us. So he wants his joy fulfilled in us. And so I was asking myself, well, what joy is he speaking of? You know, what is it like? What, is it, what does it feel like? Well, in this context, we can see it, it's true, perfect, full joy of the fellowship he has with the Father, because he's emphasizing the glory of the Father, his own glory restored that he had with the Father before. He's emphasized again and again, he and the Father are one. He is in the Father. The Father is in him. He is one with the Father, and in God the Father, there is fullness of joy. And I thought of the words of Psalm 16, Psalm 16, verses 5 through 9 says this, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or the grave. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So if, if you want the fullness of joy, you will experience it in the presence of God. And this is the heart of our Savior and what he desires for us, his people. And he's made full provision for it. In this prayer, Jesus makes it known that, that we've been brought into the same position before the Father that he had held. And his joy is available to us. And we are filled with it to the extent that we want it. So if I'm not feeling the joy of the Lord in this particular moment, then I must really not want it because it's available. It's a gift. It's already been given. If I'm not feeling the peace of the Lord, it's because I don't want it. If you're not feeling the joy and the peace of the Lord, it's because you don't want it. You want anxiety and worry or whatever else that's crowding into your heart more than you want the joy and peace and love of the Lord. Now, ouch. But that's the truth. That is the truth. God's given it. It's available but we don't want it. We give them the Heisen. No, God, I got this. I got this one. 
I'll take care of it. I'll do it my way, in my time. We just, we just keep pushing it off. And all the while, Jesus is right there. He's like, come to me. Come to me. He's like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. A little more time and I'll figure it out. A little more time and I get it. And you know why we do that? Because when we do figure it out, who gets the glory? I get the glory. You get the glory. Yeah, look what I did. You know, I'm so smart. I'm so skilled. I'm so great. I got some glory for that. That's that's why we ultimately do it. But I tell you, in my own life experience, the older I get, the more I cannot do. It's all out of my control. And that breaks you. It shatters you. Shattered me. Like, okay, God, I, I can't fix this one. I can't fix this. I don't I don't got this. And he knows. Yeah, I know that. I was just waiting for you to admit it. Lord, have you let me work now? Yes, God, please. And you know what? My circumstances usually don't change. It's me that changes. It's my heart. I just have a peace from God. That it's like nothing out there changed. People ask me, man, you're smiling today. I'm like, yeah, it's a good day to smile. Well, what changed? Me. My heart. I changed. Nothing out there changed at all. I still have the same problems. I still have the same struggles, same difficulty. They grow every day. It's, it's, it's this that changed. God's just given me grace to let me be still today and rest in him today. Thank you, Lord, for those moments. And they are moments, I tell you, because you think you're there. <laughs> you think you're there. And you're like, oh, this is great. But then it's like a Star Trek transporter. Suddenly I'm right back into that mess again. And I'm like, how did I get here? Why am I so anxious now? Why am I fighting? Why am I, you know, fearful? What happened? How did I even get here? It's like a dream. You know, you have a dream and you're dreaming stuff and you're like, you don't know how you got there. Like, how did I get just in the dream? You're just suddenly there in this place. And you're like, well, how, how did I get there? That's, that's what this life is like. You know, bebopping along. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Life is good. And then I'm, I'm arguing with someone or I'm anxious with someone. And I'm like, and I'm suddenly, I'm like, and I, I look at the whole situation. I'm like, well, how did I get there? I don't want to be there. Help me, God. Pull me out of there. And so that's what's happening to us when those types of situations happen. If you find yourself suddenly in this well of anxiety or negative emotions, it's like, oh, yeah, you've just gone back into that ratty old tent called your old self. You're just back there suddenly. Trying to prop up the, the ceiling, trying to fix the leaks and all that. Meanwhile, God's the whole time saying, I've, I've got a house for you. I've prepared a place for you. Come on in. Come back inside. It's great over here in my house. And then the older I get, the more I'm like, yeah, I want to be in that house, God. I want to be in your house. I'm tired of my ratty old tent. Get me out of there. And so my, my hope and prayer for us this morning is that we want that from Jesus more than we want this world. And that's what we've got to, each one of us asks, ask ourselves, you know, moment by moment through the day, where am I living right now? And I'm not talking about your address physically. It's in your heart, in your mind. If you're not feeling the joy of the Lord fulfilled in you, it's because you're living in the old self, the old house. You don't want the joy of the Lord. And when you want it, he'll give it. He will give it abundantly to the full fulfilled not just a little bit overflowing so you know as i thought about this i was thinking uh, you know a miserable christian is should be a self-contradiction like that it really shouldn't happen there should be no miserable christian it's a self-contradiction a joyless christian is one who is really out of communion with god All the other cares of this world have engaged our heart. We're not in communion with God. 
And so really this starts with confessing our sins. So I'm like, how do we change this? You confess your sins. You put away everything that hinders your communion with him. And, and we really need to center our thoughts and affections on him. Be in his word. Read more of God's word. Spend more time praying and meditating on God's word. Occupying our heart with Christ and his love. Dwelling constantly in his glory and proclaiming it to others. Proclaiming to others the unsearchable riches of his love. So we turn from our old small self and we turn to Jesus. And dwell in his presence and feel the fullness of his joy. Now look at verse 14 in our back to John 17. Here we get some help in enduring persecution in righteousness, walking in righteousness and enduring persecution. Jesus is praying for us. He knows we will experience persecution and hatred in this world. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil ones. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So brothers and sisters, mark this. When you love Jesus, when you walk in his love, when you tell others they can be saved from their sins through faith in Christ, and they can feel the fullness of the joy of God in their lives, you start telling that to people out there, you're going to be hated. It will happen. Count on it. Not by everyone, you know, we're very fortunate in this little bubble of Wake Forest, Youngsville, Rollsville we live in. This is a little Christian bubble here we live in. We're, we're very fortunate living here that they don't all hate us. There are plenty of Jesus lovers all around. And I take great comfort and praise God for that. You know, I drive down the interstate even. I see uh, billboards, you know, saying love Jesus and Jesus gets us ads on TV and stuff like that, right? So we live in a culture that's still got Jesus in it. Thank God for that. Not everyone's going to hate you, but a lot of people are going to hate you. <clears throat> the children of God, though, they're in the world. And we've seen that in the book of John. And when we love and we serve and we tell them about Jesus, they hear his voice and they come when they hear his voice through you. You are the voice of Jesus in the world. So there are some of them out there, and they won't hate you when they hear the gospel. But most people in the world are not his children, and when they hear his voice through you, they will hate you. It will be the smell of death to them that don't believe. And those of us who believe in Jesus, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Bible tells us God has chosen you and me out of the world and so the world hates you John 15 19 interesting that he doesn't pray that we'll be taken out of the world that instead we will be kept from the evil one oh that was very interesting he even makes a point of saying it out loud and that is because we are created for a purpose and we are to remain in this world living because it's important, it's needful in God's plan for us to share his love and share the gospel in this world. That's, that's the way God gets it done, through you and through me. Now, why he does it that way, I have no idea. I wouldn't do it that way, but I'm not God. God uses us, wretches like us, to get his work done, to accomplish his purposes in the world, through our prayer and through our, our love and sharing the gospel. He says that uh, he doesn't pray for us to be taken out of the world. So as we pilgrims in this journey walk in this pilgrimage of ours, this is not our home, we know that. Let's be content to pray for our preservation and keeping from evil during our journey here until all his work in us is fulfilled. I also thought it was interesting to note that 
three of the only prayers not granted to some of the greatest saints in recorded in the scriptures were of Moses and Elijah and Jonah praying to be taken out of the world. Like, God, just take me. They've all been killed. I'm the last one, and they are trying to kill me. This is Elijah in the cave. Just take me. And God's like, no, no, no. No, I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> and I got more people out there. Just relax. Trust me. I'm not taking you out of the world. And I can tell you, I've prayed to be taken out of this world. It gets hard. My God, I don't even want to be alive today. Just take me home, please. We go through some hurt. God's not done with me yet. And you're here breathing today because God's not done with you yet. He's got a purpose for you, a plan for you. And so instead, we ought to pray, God, keep me from evil. As I walk this walk for your glory, God, keep me from evil. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave you, God. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. For your glory, God. God has a, each of us, has a purpose for each of us here. And that purpose is for his glory and our joy. I want to share a... A story about this from the latest Voice of the Martyrs magazine. Some of you guys get these reports. When I saw this passage on persecution, I thought, well, I wonder if I'll find something in here I can share on page one. Uh, I didn't have to go far. Uh, this is real life living example. And I could share lots of examples from Paul in the Bible as well. This is Pastor Omar in Bangladesh. Okay, here for the Zoomers. Pastor Omar in Bangladesh. I just want to read you a little bit of his story. I'm not going to read the whole article. I'll wrap up with this. Omar's passion for proclaiming the truth of Christ followed naturally and almost immediately after his first exposure to the gospel. As he sat in a park one day, a man walked up to him and handed him a gospel tract. Omar, who was then 21, opened the tract and read it for 20 minutes while the man stood next to him. Do you have any questions, the man asked. Where am I in this, Omar wondered aloud. He had just read for the first time that Jesus Christ had died for him. Knowing nothing about Jesus, Omar questioned everything in that moment. Determined to learn more, he soon bought a Bible and began scanning its pages to find the parts about Jesus. See, this is an example. The sheep are out there. Omar heard the voice of Jesus, and he came. You see that? It's beautiful. He went and bought his own Bible. Hungry for God. Hungry in his soul for God. Bought his own Bible. Starts looking for all the parts about Jesus. You remember that day when you believed? I do. And I couldn't stop reading my Bible. Over and over again, it used to feel like a chore. It wasn't a chore anymore. I couldn't get enough of it. That's, that's what Omar was feeling. One passage that caught his attention was John 14, 6, in which Jesus says, I am the way. Start crying. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's all I need to read. After that, I decided to move from Islam to Christ. So he's a practicing Muslim. Omar, who is now 42, said the next five years following his salvation were like living in a wilderness. You trust in the Lord Jesus. Life doesn't get smooth and easy. Felt like he's living in a wilderness. Think about that. He's probably the only Christian around. There are no others probably. He's probably got to walk for miles to get to a church. We take that for granted here, like everyone's a believer, at least, at least it looks like it. There are Christians everywhere. They said it's like living in a wilderness. He knew no other Christians and knew of no local churches. You know, I drive Highway 96 here, I probably pass eight churches. There's one right next door. <laughs> it's a good one, too. 
Tiago preached the gospel over there. It's great. He knew no other Christians, no other churches. Sensing the need for worship and study, he's hungry for worship. He's hungry for study. He began to sing and pray through the Psalms and study the scriptures on his own. <laughs> wow. When he read Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, Omar suddenly saw the proclamation of the gospel as the highest form of worship. But others would soon see him as a threat. Omar first shared the gospel with his mother. Okay, so here's where it starts. The family hates you. His own family hates him, despite her tender heart. So she's a, a kind grandma, loving mama. She grew angry with her son. My mom only knew Jesus as a prophet, Omar said. She didn't think he could do other things. His father and siblings responded even more harshly. They kicked him out of the house and disowned him. Now, their culture is much different than ours. Multi-generations of people live in the same house. Like, we think that's annoying and crazy <laughs> in, in America. Like, we don't encourage that here. We think something's wrong with family. You know, you're still so, so old and you're living at home. That's not the way it is in these other cultures. Like, grandma and grandpa's there. Mom and dad is there. All the kids are there. I, I got a friend from Nigeria. It's like 15 people in a room smaller than this. Like they all live together. So for them to kick him out of the house and disown him, he felt so hurt. Now what? They're my family, the most loving people, and I'm telling them the truth, but they are not accepting. It was really hard. I feel like you're completely alone in the world. <clears throat> One day in 2014, a stranger approached Omar and asked to hear what he had been sharing with others. The man, a member of a fundamentalist Islamic group, asked Omar to join him and other members of the group for a discussion. After agreeing to the meeting, Omar showed up with a Bible and a Quran, then proceeded to show the men how the two books differ in their portrayals of Jesus Christ. He also told them plainly that he had put his faith in the Jesus of the Bible. Outraged by Omar's boldness, one of the Islamists suddenly grabbed the Quran from him and to Omar's great surprise, tore it in two. He then scolded and threatened Omar, demanding that he leave. The next day, while Omar was at his friend's house, the Islamist's bizarre actions began to make more sense. Like, why would he rip a Quran in two? Why would he do that? Five police officers arrived to arrest Omar for tearing up the Quran. See, this is a place where church and state are together. Muslim Islam is the religion of the state. You commit a crime against Islam, you commit a crime against the state, you are guilty, you go to jail, you're punished. They arrest him. Although Bangladesh's constitution guarantees religious freedom, it also declares Islam as the official state religion. In addition, the country's laws discourage blasphemy and prohibit any action that hurts religious sentiment. Police questioned Omar about the torn Quran, but refused to believe his explanation of what happened. Then they led him to a dark room where two officers took turns beating him with batons. They will hate you for the sake of the gospel. They ask questions like, why are you spreading Christianity? How much money are you being paid? Omar replied with simple honesty that he hadn't been paid anything to follow Christ. I'm a sinner, he told them. I need a savior in my life. What will you say when they're beating you with the batons? The officers blindfolded Omar and tied him in a torturous position. At one point, they tied his wrists and ankles together behind his back and hung him upside down. They beat him all over his body, including on the soles of his feet. I can't even imagine how painful that is. I step on a Lego and I scream. <laughs> the scariest thing was when I was spinning, he tearfully recalled. It was horrible, horrible for me. On the days when Omar was beaten, he ate nothing. The hardest part, he said, was after they tortured me, I was thirsty and asked for water, but they did not give it to me. 
He said they often gave him water only so he could take painkillers, which enabled them to prolong the beatings. Omar often lost consciousness during the beatings, but when he was alert, he would pray. And during one of the prayerful moments, he said he had a vision of Christ. When I was getting beaten and tortured, I felt more peace in God, he said. There it is. There it is. When I felt beaten and tortured, I had more peace in God. That cut me to the heart when I read that. Because when I want peace, I go out there and try to buy my peace. Or I try to watch my peace on television. Or I try to go out there to, to find peace. And the peace is in here. And it seems that we have to have all of that stripped away and just be completely humiliated and beating to experience the peace of God? Wow. Wow. I felt more peace in God. I felt some of the pain that Jesus did when he died for us. Getting beaten was like a blessing for me. I was really happy for that. The joy of the Lord fulfilled in his heart through beatings. Now, I'm not saying we should go out there and look to be beaten, right? I'm not saying that. But it does shed light on, like, we're looking in the wrong places for, for peace and joy in our hearts. It's in Christ. It's in God. That's where it is. And if we'll let go of all the fears and anxieties, cares of this world and all the strivings of, of this world in our culture, if we'll let go of that and fall into God and his love, that's when we will feel true peace and true joy and true love. Omar concludes with this. Our life is temporary here, he said. I have a small amount of time to preach the gospel. I don't believe I will stop. Amen, brothers and sisters. So if you want to feel the fullness of joy in God, let's let go of all this worldly stuff, all these worldly cares. Let's let go of that old self, put off that old self, and just fall into God and his love and feel his joy and peace in our souls. That's Jesus' prayer for you and me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.